Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Kia ora everyone, welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe speaking, and I'm glad you could join me as we get to speak with Elise Hilliam. Now, she's the co-founder of MenuAid, and we have a great conversation about her background growing up, some of the influences on her life, and studying nutrition at Otago University. And then we talk about this co-founding of MenuAid, which is a really innovative way of helping people solve that question, what should we have for dinner tonight? As well as being the host of Seeds Podcast, I work as a lawyer helping people with capital raisings. So it's been really fun to assist Elise and the team with that side of things. It's going to be really fun to watch as the company grows. I really enjoyed this conversation, and if you do too, then don't forget there's like 300 other episodes in the back catalog. This might be the first Seeds episode that you've listened to as well, so why not hit subscribe and leave a rating and review if you enjoy it. This sort of thing only grows organically. I literally have no budget to get the word out, so it's just people like you helping to spread the word. Now let's get straight into this conversation. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Elise Hilliam, who's the CEO and co-founder of MenuAid. Thanks yeah. for joining me. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because you are doing something that's really unique in the space that you're operating in with MenuAid, and I I want to find out all about it. Awesome. <laughs> and I want to find out the, what's led to it, what you're doing, and then what the future might hold. Yeah, absolutely. But before we talk about that, what I like to do with people is jump in a time machine, go back in time and just find out about their origins. And I think that's important because then we can link what you do today with some of the influences and things. So in your case, can we go back to say when you were four or five years old, Yeah. where were you living and what was it like? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually really looking forward to this exercise because it's something that I've not really done. I've not taken the time to sort of sit back and reflect. So I appreciate the opportunity to do so. Yeah. It's um, been kind of a wild ride for you, right? Yeah. It's a, a busy time. So. It has been. It's nice to sit down and sort of, yeah, reflect and have a chance to think about it. So thank you very much. So when I was five, uh, I was really lucky. I was was um, raised in a small country town called Walkworth, uh, which is actually just north of Auckland. So um, when I was there, it was very much still a rural town. I knew everyone that I could walk past on the street. It was awesome. And um, I really enjoyed that community environment. I had just started at Walkworth Primary School, where I was with uh, my best friends from kindy. It was just it was a fantastic time. My mum actually also started working at the primary school as well um, in the admin there, which was really nice to have that support right right there, especially when you're five at starting school. It can be a lot to take on board. Um, I loved the outdoors we grew up on. At that stage, we were sort of on a smaller farm. Um, we had this awesome area behind us, which my mum called Xena Land. I don't know if you know Xena, but... Um, right, the warrior princess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and mum used to claim that she was Xena and she'd take us out to this forest behind and wow. um, take us through Xena Land and we'd be swinging on um, trees. And it was it was a really cool time. Um, I also spent lots of time at a place called Camp Flounder, which uh, our family friends... They've got an awesome section um, just on the estuary of Omaha out there. Um, and we spent all, well, there'd be a group of about 40 of us that would go camping there every summer. And that was a really cool time. We'd again clamber through mangroves and we actually built a, a band in a mangrove tree and we'd all go and bash pots and rubbish and all sorts. It was really fun. So when I think back to five, I just think of lots of really exciting times with my friends and family and um, lots of adventure, lots of time outdoors. Um, yeah, that's 
That's awesome. And the town that you're describing, like how yeah. far north of Auckland is it? And how many people is it? Is it hundreds or thousands? Or? Yes, I, I don't actually know the current. I want to say around 5,000, but honestly, that's probably a stab in the dark. Uh, and it's growing rapidly. So now we're actually part of the super city. So we're technically part of Auckland. We're about 45 minutes north of the Harbour Bridge. Okay. And some might say we're the North Shore. I I wouldn't say we're the North Shore, we're further north than that. But now we've got motorways going in and a lot of people now actually live in Walkworth and commute to Auckland. Mm. Um, So we've got subdivisions going up left, right and centre. The sort of small rural town uh, where I just used to get food from the bakery or the local cafe has now got McDonald's and BP and all these sort of big franchises. So it's certainly changed. Um, And every time I go up there, I'm sort of astounded with how different it is. But yeah, it's it's still got the nice community feel. Yeah, but back in the day, it was the type of place where you you literally knew everybody right like, yeah <laughs> absolutely I was actually telling a friend the other day about we used to have a thing called Corfi Festival it happened once a year for the weekend and we would just take over the street the main street of Walkworth and I remember it so vividly at primary school we'd go down and all of your friends would be their parents would be running stalls it was really cool so uh, don't I don't think they do that anymore which is sad because that was such an awesome community event but now I think if they tried to shut down Walkworth for a day some some people wouldn't be so happy about it yeah, I think there is probably, you know, as cities spread, they probably do lose that individual sort of touch of yeah. the community. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a sad part, but maybe there's new communities that can arise and different ways of connecting as well. Yeah, so. I think so. And the cool thing about Walk with Primary um, and then I guess moving into college is there's lots of sort of other rural schools around and then we all come together at the college stage. So there's sort of, I guess, mini communities that then come together at that college um, yeah. stage, which is pretty And nice. you mentioned your mother. Sounds like she was an influence on your life, you yeah, know, like hugely. taking you into the, you know, yeah. into the forest yeah. and things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me a bit about her. Yeah, she's awesome. I also forgot to mention my dad. He's incredible too. Um, I can talk to him afterwards. But mum is... Yeah, she's an incredible support. She's like a real anchor in my life. Both of my parents, I'm incredibly grateful to have such supportive parents and also my sisters as well. I've got two older sisters who I learn a lot from and look up to a lot, especially when I was younger. My middle sister, Hannah, used to get frustrated because I'd always copy everything. Right. From her, <laughs> but it was easy because she was doing such cool things. Yeah. Um, was but, there big age gaps? or? Um, no, not really. Hannah's four years older um, and Rex is another two years older than that, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a nice age. Uh, there's, there's lots of pictures of them just dragging me around as a baby because they were sort of at that stage where they could do that. So I was always just getting carried along to right. different yeah, things. Yeah, you're the baby doll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or chucked on the jolly jumper. Yeah. But yeah, mum's incredible, incredibly supportive of everything um, that we do. She's the sort of woman who was worked at primary school when we were there, then was incredibly engaged throughout all of our school and careers, um, was like the manager of our netball teams. And, you know, she was... She was always right beside us, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, and that's carried on now through into our lives as well. She's sort of, I call her, you know, a couple of times a week and we just talk for hours about anything and everything. So, mm. yeah, really lucky to have that that support. Yeah. What do you think had, um, how has she managed to keep that relationship with you? You know, like, because yeah. that's something to aspire to, I think, yeah. for those of us with young children. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got four young children. So, like, what, what are some of the tools, you think, or some of the things that we could learn from how she treated you? Or why is it that you still have that relationship? I think um, she was always really, like, firm but fair, I think is, like, a good way to... And the relationship was always quite clear, um, that she was mum, but she was also our number one support. So 
uh, you know, like if, when we started going to parties, for example, she'd always say, I don't care what time of night, like even if I'm not meant to be picking up, I will always be available. And then I think that's just like a representation of how she is throughout our whole lives, like no matter what's going on, even in her life and dad's life, like she will always be there to support us, which is, mm. is all you can ask for really. Um, and I guess now dad always jokes that, mum always has to sniff us like when lockdown was happening it was really hard for her it was hard for all of us because we couldn't get together like we all live um, right. Rex Hands in Sydney Hannah's in Wellington um, I'm in Christchurch and mum and dad are in Auckland so we were sort of apart and as soon as we could get out mum had to come and sniff us as dad said <laughs> um, so she's always yeah she's um, just maintain like constant contact if we ever go quiet she'll call us straight away and figure out what's going on she's got an incredible motherly instinct um that she'll know always what's going on regardless of, of yeah. whether you've told her that's cool and I, I like the insight that you said you know the um the xena warrior princess <laughs> yeah. in the backyard you yeah. know like that that's a pretty cool thing to for it to you know inspire your children or to, to say to them you know go play and, yeah. and get outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I'm not a particularly creative person, but that would definitely was something that helped with our creativity to just go out and, I mean, I've, in my head I imagine it as this crazy forest that's got ropes, you know, um, big vines everywhere, but probably wasn't. It was probably like a very typical <laughs> sort of New Zealand forest, but, yeah, it was an incredible... We spent hours and hours and hours up there. It was really cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, since we talked about your mother, yeah. how about your father? <laughs> yeah, he's... And he has taught me some incredibly valuable life lessons. Um, I, he's an incredibly stable figure in my life. Um, he is also, um, he's a real ideas man as well, which I think I'm coming to realise more and more, um, especially being with my partner Toby, he's an incredible ideas guy as well, and I see lots of similarities between them. Um, but when we were children, going back to when I was five, he was a builder. Um, him and a good friend of his, of his um, started up a construction company, a building company, and they actually called it Reach, which was the first letter of each of the children's names of the two of them, which was quite nice. So it was a real family environment. Um, but his background's actually agriculture. Um, so he then always had a passion for farming and wanted to get back into it. So um, when I started college, we actually moved a bit further out of town um, and he started running and managing a, a farm out there, which was pretty cool. My sisters weren't that impressed because they were sort of at that sort of teenage age where they just wanted to be closer to town. But I think I was just at the right age where I could appreciate it and spent lots of time with Dad on the farm, um, helping him out in all sorts of different ways and learning heaps from him just in like dealing with different situations that happen. You know, things always arise on farms that you can never quite be prepared for. So um, he's always been very level-headed in those situations, and I mm. think I can draw a lot from that. Um, yeah, he's... It sounds like he was quite entrepreneurial as well. Then, yeah, like, he, To yeah. have his own building company. Absolutely, and, and yeah. also, you know, get into farming as a... Yeah. Because that's, that's, not, that's not the same career. That's not, <laughs> To, to yeah. switch from this to that, it yeah. takes a certain type of person to you know, there's always potential risks of switching. So. Yeah, absolutely. And then we sort of, must be five years ago now approximately, we um, went through an unfortunate time that meant we had to leave that farm um, and we moved to a slightly smaller farm which wasn't going to be able to um, create the same income for our family. So uh, Dad immediately got his entrepreneurial uh, streak on and actually now has a business called Puka 2. Um, Puka Puka is the road that we live on. 
Um, and so we now live in an area called Mahurangi West, which is a peninsula. Um, and he's actually able to now he does contracting jobs there, so um, all sorts of like earthworks or you know small building jobs. So he's kind of combining his he does lots of planting, and we've got a native nursery at home as well that he runs. So he's sort of taking all of his skills that he's learned throughout his life and build it into this his own business now called Pukatu, where he mm. actually is made, able to have a fully booked. Um, booking system I guess for months ahead because there's so many people just in the peninsula itself that want his work because mm. it's such high quality work and it's from a local guy that they all know and trust so yeah he's been doing that for about four years now and it's incredible how popular it is yeah. Um, so yeah again he just faces adversity and then pivots and finds the, the solution which is really inspirational yeah well when we come on to talk about what you're doing today yeah. uh, these are the types of like the, the spider web links between mm. the origin story of somebody yeah. and then thinking through like okay because if you have role models or examples of people mm-hmm. who are willing to risk things or try new things yeah. I think that then sets you up to yourself potentially start a business or yeah. do something different and yeah. and you know and I think that's a really that's one of the reasons I love the podcast is that I get to hear all these stories yeah. and then I'm hoping that people listening are then able to think well maybe I could try something you yeah. know like because the more we hear stories the more we can try it ourselves yeah so, exactly yeah so coming back to your life um yeah. thinking through the the primary school and, and getting into sort of high school mm-hmm. were there areas that you enjoyed more study wise or yeah it sounds like the outdoors yeah. would have continued as yeah. a, a passion yeah absolutely that was um I was playing every sport I could possibly try and that my parents could support me with um netball volleyball touch um I even had a tuck got rugby I just tried anything and everything I could um which was awesome um and I guess through that I really enjoyed physical education as a as a um course through school and then I really enjoyed the sciences um I wasn't really that in- I wasn't at all into English um but mum and dad sort of made me stick stick with it pretty right. much to how we get into university um and but yeah all of I studied all the sciences mm-hmm. um which was really interesting and I am quite a number like factual driven person so I think that that um was why I didn't really like the other courses because science I could understand something really clearly and then um, mm. apply it so yeah science is a really strong sciences and um, sport was, was yeah. what I was into yeah yeah sometimes with English or other subjects it's it's more interpretation isn't it yeah like, absolutely yeah. yeah and I remember going in because you had to do art it was compulsory up until year 10 which is form four and I just remember thinking I am terrible at this <laughs> like why are you making me do this but I guess it's 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 good. I think it's good that they make you do it up until a certain stage because it's good to have at least a base understanding so that as you grow and you find people in different careers, you can understand it. I mean, I don't really understand, but I can understand to an extent yeah, know, yeah. what they're doing. Does it help with branding these days, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Luckily, I've got an incredible um, Charlie who helps us with all of that, thankfully, because yeah. it's not my forte. <laughs> yeah. So you're getting, it sounds like you've moved to the farm and mm. you're getting towards the end of high school time. Yeah. Um, did you know? Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to do next, or where you wanted to go? Not really. I was really into leadership positions and roles at school. I really enjoyed working with teams and um, all that side of things. But mm. I actually thought I wanted to be a physio, and I think that's because that was almost all I had like been exposed to in the sense that throughout my sporting times and I guess career, but I don't. It's not really a career, but um, endeavours during school. I 
had a lot of experience with physios and I had an awesome physio and I got on really well with her and I found it interesting that she was helping people and I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete but I still wanted to be involved in that space somehow so I um yeah I went and did a day's work with her though towards the end when I had applied to become uh, to do physio at university and I did a day's work there and I remember going home and saying that was really boring like I just it was in the clinic (laughs) yeah and I was just you know like touching people's knees and things and I was like this just isn't quite what I was looking for right so I was feeling a little bit lost at that point but um yeah still went to Otago and and started started doing physio okay yeah yeah and (laughs) And did that initial impression play out or, yeah, what happened next? <laughs> yeah, so then I, um, yeah, so I moved to Otago in 2014 uh, to start first year health science, which is down there you get, you've got dentists, physios, doctors, um, all sorts doing this first year health science degree. Right. It's extremely competitive. You go into lecture theatres of 500 plus people and I'm used to being at a, sort of rural school at Mahudangi College where I know my teachers incredibly well and I um, ask lots of questions and I'm really engaged in that sense. I don't really learn by reading and listening as well. So I honestly really hated my first year at university just from purely from what I was learning. I just found it really challenging. And going from someone who used to perform really well at school, it was really hard to come to terms with that. It was a lot to take in as well. Moving down there, it's sort of your first move away from home and the safety net of home, I guess. So, And it would be even just because we were it's just we're recording this after Anzac uh, weekend. So yeah. we just did a road trip to Otago Amazing. and we're in Dunedin. And it, it's beautiful, but it was cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking from the north to go there, it's, exactly. it's quite a contrast. It Lots was, of different contrasts. Absolutely. I even remember the first day it snowed. Or you could tell who the North Islanders were because they're all running out to the window and running right. out to the road. And like, I can't believe it's snowing. And all the Southlanders are like, come on, this is pathetic. It's yeah. fairly settling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a huge shock. And also I think the differences in – I'd never experienced people from other schools either. Um, even like I grew – Mahurangi College was a co-ed school and we're all sort of I guess at the core sort of Mm. rural-ish kids and then you you get into these halls where you're living with people who have got incredibly wealthy parents and are from like a really different background socially so that was that was quite hard to come to terms with initially Mm. it's hard to sort of find yourself like I yeah I sort of struggled with being comfortable with who I was and where I'd come from and and not compare yourself to these people who are you know, perceivably living these incredible, you know, lives. But, um, yeah, so that was quite interesting to come to terms with amongst different, you know, learning habits and things like that. So um, at the end of my first year, I I didn't get into physio. um, And that was really hard to come to terms with um, because I sort of had always, like I'd always been able to achieve what I wanted to, essentially. So that was my first real, like, slap in the face you failed <laughs> uh, which was tough it was hard to uh, and mum and dad were just like that's fine like it's fine yeah. you know it's not it's not the end of the world which luckily I've got such supportive parents but yeah I definitely beat myself up about that for a long time yeah, yeah. it's interesting even hearing your journey so far you know like the the little town that you're describing yeah. where you knew everybody, yeah. you know, and then you go to the primary school and your mother's there yeah. and your friends are there. Yeah. And, you know, like it's, it's kind of a sheltered environment in some yeah. ways in that growing up and, and probably having success through your yeah. high school years and sports. And then, yeah, I, I guess what I'm building up to is how did you cope with that disappointment? Because 
let's be honest, if we haven't, if the listeners, if they haven't faced a disappointment yet, it will come. Yeah. So it's always good to learn from each other as yeah. to how you get through those times. So mm. you get your marks and, and you're disappointed. But yeah, what, what helped you get through that? Um, I think just coming up with the next plan. Like it's this, I think what I've learned now with this, definitely not the last time I failed. And so you, I've sort of figured like a good coping mechanism to me is to soak it in, absorb it, think about what went wrong or what, you know, what influenced that um, outcome Mm -hmm. and then just make a plan to move on because there's no point dwelling on it for a long time. Learn what you need to learn Mm -hmm. and then just start again, carry on. Like it's, um, so I guess with the physio stage, I um, had just met Toby, my partner, um, at that time and so I also felt really embarrassed as well in there but he was all I guess Toby mum and dad were sort of my rocks in that situation um and they all just said that's fine like you just need to carry on and what's the next phase you're not going to stop at university you still want to be here but what do you want to do and I had no idea um so I actually went and spoke to a careers advisor at the university and sort of told my story Uh, and she said there's a degree that we've got which is sport and exercise nutrition and I thought perfect like Mm -hmm. that really appeals to me I am because I guess, like fundamentally, I love helping people, and um, education is really important to me, and sports and well-being and all that sort of stuff. So if I couldn't be a physio, then what could I do? And yeah, mm. she introduced me to this, and I thought, yeah, that actually sounds really awesome. Wow. Yeah. So I, and that's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, what are you, what are you studying in that area? Is it really concentrating on like professional athletes in sports, or is it more, you know, like? The person who goes out for a jog and, yeah. and what should they eat or yeah tell yeah more it's sort of it. a combination so I guess there's there's two degrees there's a bachelor um, of science which is in human nutrition okay. and then there's a bachelor of applied science which is sport and exercise nutrition which is what I ended up doing um, and I guess the two differences is that the applied science degree you um, combine it with some physio uh, sorry some physical education papers so I love that because that's well, I loved at school, right? So right. that was um, learning about like community exercise and how you can help the community. And um, that was a lot more, um, it helped me understand more as a whole well-being rather than just nutrition, which I think the nutrition degree does. Um, and I was able to work alongside people who are going to be physical education teachers or work in that space as well. So that experience, that was a lot more hands-on experience. We worked with clients in that situation to help them prescribe them exercise and things. And then within the nutrition aspect of that, yeah, we were looking at athletes, but we are also, a lot of it is learning how to understand research because, I mean, as you are probably well aware, there's all sorts of information that can come out, especially within the wellbeing space, that is just not, sound and I think that that's what they really tried to ingrain in us is you need to understand how to interpret information so that you're you're sending the right message and so that going forward no matter what comes at you or who you are talking to you know where to go look for information how to analyze it and then give them the right outcome so that was really important but I guess what from the nutrition side of things what they didn't set us up that well to do and it's I honestly think it's because they set you up to then go and do your master's, which is in, to become a dietitian. Um, so I felt like at the end of my nutrition degree, I wasn't quite prepared to get out and face the real world, but I also wasn't committed and didn't want to go and become a dietitian yet. So right. I was a bit lost. Right. <laughs> Again, failure. <laughs> 
and and how long a period is this? Is it a couple of years or? Yeah, yeah, so I was there for four and a half years. Okay. Um, and Dunedin itself was incredible. Honestly, I think forever will be one of the best times of my life. It was. I met some of. It was really nice to go down and be amongst people who just get what is going on and they're really similar to me you know we're all sort of out there trying to achieve a similar thing we've all mm. like my friends from Dunedin are, I know are going to be my best friends for a really really long time um because yeah we're just really similar people mm. um and a real range of people so it's great to meet people from all over the country and from different backgrounds and um the of course, the parties are always fantastic. It's a really good social experiment down there, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but the community down there is incredible. And just being able to explore the south, Toby and I spent lots of time um, traveling around. And he had a van that we called Raywin that would put a mattress in the back of and go around the Catlins and head to Queenstown and um, Tamaru, Omaru. Like, yeah, we got to travel around a lot. In yeah, it was cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah, this yeah. Uh, we were, like I said, we were just there. And yeah. even just within a couple minutes of Dunedin, you know, like the yeah. the Larnac Castle was there and like these amazing views. And then yeah. we went to the Tunnel Beach and kind That's of walked so down cool, and wasn't it? went down. Yeah, it was a very wet, windy day. So oh. it was like very dramatic, <laughs> yeah. you know, like all these waves. and But real contrasting scenes, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful area. So you get to the end of your degree and yeah. then, yeah, what, what does happen next? Yeah, so then I was sort of at another what am I doing with my life point. Um, and uh, Toby, who I met in, at the end of my first year, we'd been together this whole time and we sort of said this is a really good opportunity to just go and travel. Um, he is a real big traveller, had done lots of travelling before. We did a few trips. Um, we actually won a trip to um, the States, so we headed over to LA and then went into Mexico when we were quite young and then we did Southeast Asia also while we were at university. Um, and so then we thought this is a perfect opportunity to just go and, and travel as far and as wide as we can. Um, so it was incredible. We actually spent the next 10 months uh, travelling around. We spent flew over to London, met some friends there who were doing the Kiwis in London scene, uh, spent a few days there, and then we started travelling around Europe, mostly by bus, um, just to see as many places as we could. We'd really stay nowhere longer than two or three days. It was a very, wow. very I think the longest we stayed was in Budapest for seven days, but that's because we were at a festival, so it wasn't exactly a relaxing time, but it was incredible. Um, so I spent a lot of time throughout Europe in the summer, and then we headed to Turkey, which was one of my favourite places in the world. I absolutely love Turkey. Um, and then went to India, uh, Sri Lanka had a friend's wedding in Sri Lanka, which was awesome, and then went and volunteered for three months in South Africa, um, which was again incredible. Wow, it's the amazing thing because we're recording this in what when is it? A- end of April, yeah. twenty twenty two. So the 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 world you're describing, like pre COVID, <laughs> yeah. it's like what you travel? Yeah, how do you mean? No, you went to another country. So, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's so it's lucky. Probably, we did, we did. yeah. Looking back, it's probably you probably timed that pretty well because yeah. I think there's a whole generation of people who maybe wanted to do that, but for the last two and a bit years, it's mm. not even been possible. Yeah, that's a lot of our friends. So yeah. a lot of um, my friends were studying law or um, becoming doctors and things like that, so they had longer degrees. Yeah. And so they all had the plan of travelling the next year, and then, of course, the next year was when COVID happened, so they've right. all been sort of stuck at home, which, wow. yeah, so incredibly grateful that we went when we did. Yeah. Was, and when you were travelling and, and away from New Zealand, yeah, like what did that do for your identity as 
a Kiwi? Like, <laughs> did you feel more connected or yeah. did you feel like actually we could just keep traveling forever? You know, like, or was there always a call to come back? Yeah, for me, it was hugely a call to come back. I felt incredibly connected to um, New Zealand. I had a Ponamu that I took with me everywhere. I didn't wear all the time, um, but I would always keep it with me to sort of keep me close to home. And um, there would often be times where I'd just say to Toby, I just need to go be by the sea um, because the sea always connects me to home. I've grown up around beaches mm. and um, it always makes me sort of feel grounded and connected. So mm. we, we'd always, yeah, I mean, after the festival um, in Budapest, I was, you know, pretty exhausted. And so we just um, went over to Portugal and just sat by the sea for a couple of days because that was what I needed to sort of feel connected to home. Yeah. And I remember looking on the map while I was sitting there, actually, the sea was connecting us, but how far away it was. And um, I guess at the end of end of our travels, money had run thin and we were sort of thinking, do we go and, and live in London for a couple of years and get our visa there or sort of what's the next steps for us? And I just didn't feel like that was where I needed to go or what I wanted to do. I um, just wanted to be closer to home. Mm-hmm. Um, I love travelling. I absolutely love it. It's it's an incredible opportunity, but I think I'm such a homebody as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt quite a sense of relief when we did decide to come home. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I have an accent, but I actually moved to New Zealand when I was seven. Yeah, so right. I grew up. I grew up here. This is my home yeah. too. You know, and for me, when I was traveling overseas, I, I it made me feel a stronger sense of identity yeah. and like you I had a Ponamu that I used yeah, to wear nice. and it was like it was always close to my heart you know yeah. like it's a yeah. symbolic thing but yeah. I think that's the way it is for lots of us who are overseas but then knowing at some point that you'll come you'll back, come yeah. back. Yeah. and you notice it as well as soon as you meet a Kiwi overseas mm. it's like this incredible bond that you're like oh I feel relieved like I and I'm sure even we've got a really good friend Scot- uh, Scottish friend Kyle and another Scottish friend um, Colin who both live in Christchurch and you can see when they get together like their accents get thicker you know like right. they have that real connection as well so it's, it's really nice that no matter where in the world you can always and Kiwis travel a lot so you actually because even though we're a small country, you find them all over the world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was nice to make those connections. Definitely. And did you know where in New Zealand you wanted to come back to? Like, how did you end up in Christchurch? Yeah, that was really tough. Um, it was so we had come back, no money, no jobs, no idea of where we were going to live. But mm-hmm. all we had was um, when we landed, and we hadn't even got through customs yet, but mum was waiting for us on the other side. and. Um, we Toby's dad had sent him a picture of this small black dog um, and said, Bobby's not getting on with the cats. Like, does anyone want Bobby? And Toby was like, she's so cute. Like, let's get her. And I said, absolutely not. We've got nothing. Like, this is the worst <laughs> time for us to dog. get a dog. Yeah, <laughs> we need no commitments right now. Yeah. Um, and little did I know he said yes, would have her. Right. And then we got in the car and he told mum that we were getting this dog and mum was like, this is not the right time to be getting a dog. Like, they're a big responsibility. Yeah. Um, and so he uh, told me that he hadn't got the dog. So then we went out, he went to his family home, I went to my family home and we were just looking for jobs anywhere in the country. We sort of were looking either Auckland or we weren't that keen on Wellington. Um, Toby was born there, he'd spent a bit of time there um, and then he grew up in the Hamilton area. So weren't kind of wanted to go somewhere new Dunedin was we were sick of that <laughs> we'd done that um and so yeah it was a Christchurch wasn't really an option until um 
I my old employees cookie time. I actually used to sell the Christmas cookies for oh, yeah. the three years. So I um, looked for a job opportunity there and got really close to getting one. So that was based here. So Toby and I were like, yeah, we could give it a go. And we've never lived in Christchurch. We didn't know anyone right. here. Um, but it was affordable living and looked like there were some cool opportunities and good outdoor activities and you yeah. know all the rest of the selling points for Christchurch. Yeah. So try it. And we had a dog in tow. Uh, so that was. So you did get the dog. We got the dog, <laughs> and it was it was challenging to start with, but it took us a few months. I, she was at home with us um, for the first few months, and then yeah, we we moved down to Christchurch yeah. three years ago now. Three years. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I had Michael Mayo on the podcast oh, like amazing. a couple of years ago now, yeah. and he's such a great guy. He had so many stories to tell about starting Cookie Time. And, yeah. Yeah. His yeah. story is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, did you move here without a job then? You just thought, we're going to go there and we'll find something? Yeah, so at that point, um, another failure. I didn't get the cookie time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and But at that stage, um, Toby had got an awesome job here um, that was based here. So we said, let's just go. And um, yeah. I was uh, frantically applying for any job that I could get. Um, and so... Uh, yep, I would think I was in the final interview stages for a couple of jobs by the time we'd moved here. Um, and then I had a final in-person interview the week after or something. So there was about three weeks probably where I, I didn't have a job, but it was good because we just moved into a flat with a puppy that was not toilet trained. Right. And so it was great <laughs> to be able to spend a few weeks sorting her out and getting to know our flatmates before we sort of got stuck into into working. And Toby's job was actually with um, Top Deck, who are a travel company. And so he was the business development manager for the South Island which meant that he was traveling sort of three out of four weeks of the month. Mm. Um, so moving here was actually really challenging. Um, I, like I said, new puppy, new flat, didn't know the people at all. Um, we knew one out one of our flatmates, Sam, um, but didn't know him that well. He was just a connection. Um, and so that was really tough because Toby wasn't here either and I didn't have any friends here. I didn't have family here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that was hard. That was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah, you've had certain points in your life that have been hard, but <laughs> yeah. I guess looking back, you learn from those. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's just a, like, you've just got to rise to the challenge. I guess there's no point in sitting at home moping. You've mm. just got to go on adventures and explore the area that you're in and make yeah. the most of the... And the nutrition side of things, because yeah. you studied that like four and a half years. Yeah. That's quite a long time. Yeah. At that point, when you're looking around for jobs, were yeah. you thinking, how can I take that degree and yeah. use it like because yeah. I'm keen to get on to what you're doing today yeah. and transition into that but yeah. yeah had that nutrition side of things stayed with you like this is what I want to do I'm just not sure exactly how I'm going to do Definitely. it or? yeah even when we were traveling I was um like constantly taking note of the different cultures that we were in and I remember like I'd write would be on a bus to a different country and I'd be writing sort of summary notes on what I learned from that culture and what like what my observed and um which I just found fascinating it was so interesting um but I came back and I was looking for anything nutrition anything like exercise related but because I didn't have a physical education degree it kind of cut me out of the sports roles I guess um and then lots of the nutrition roles I just wanted experience or I needed to be a dietitian. I needed to complete my right. master's. Yeah. yeah. So I felt quite removed from it at that point. It was really hard and I just sort of had come to the idea that I would it would be something that I'd come back to later. I imagined myself having children and then coming back to it at that point mm. um, and sort of my I felt like my flame would be reignited at that point. So mm. I um, yeah, tried not to get... It was hard though, I remember sitting at... Um, 
Gosh, I'm saying it's hard a lot. My life is hard. <laughs> You've had such a hard life. <laughs> I haven't at all. Um, but I remember sitting down and having um, coffee with my good friend's mum, and she said, because at this stage I got a project management role, and she said, what do you mean you're getting into project management? This has got nothing to do with nutrition. Like, what a waste of a degree. But I stuck with it. And, um, yeah, now I've been able to come back to it, which is a relief. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so tell us about what's the best question to ask? Because <laughs> I'm curious with any entrepreneur yeah. who's starting something new, yeah. like, is it a light bulb moment? Is it a... Um, oh, I, sh- I should take this to the next level. Like, yeah. yeah, describe that sort of transition from working, you know, nine to five type yeah. of a job to yeah. thinking, actually, what if I tried this or did this? How did that happen? What were the steps? Yeah, mine's quite different, I think. I don't have the typical sort of entry into entrepreneurship as as most people do in that I didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body um I was I really enjoyed the safety of of my nine-to-five job and the, you know steady salary and all those sorts of things mm-hmm. um but Toby my partner he is incredibly entrepreneurial every bone in his body is entrepreneurial mm-hmm. um and so I've sort of we've grown together over the last seven years and I've always been exposed to that and aware of it um and I watched him on his journey with Mutu which is his startup um that he first founded and yeah then he was constantly coming up with ideas and new things. And then the menu aid was born off, off our own frustration. Um, and then he sort of, we were sort of bouncing ideas off each other and that's how we came up with the concept of menu aid. And he said, this is the perfect opportunity for you to get back into your nutrition, right. passion and education and all those. Take all your experiences <laughs> exactly, and yeah. use them here. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, so originally we started off just trying to do it together. Um, he said, you come up with the recipes and the nutritional side of things and I'll handle the business side. Um, that didn't work uh, mm. because... I, the reason why we were creating it is because we hated coming out with recipes. We were tired of the what's for dinner dilemma. We were just sick of it. And so we tried right. it for ourselves. It didn't work. But I really enjoyed that challenge. Um, and so it took a, it took ages for me to realize that I wanted to commit to this, to be honest. I um, We started working on Menu 8 at the start of last year properly. That's when we got our team involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that this is actually, to I guess, believe in it, which sounds really bad, but... Um, I, I'm not very risk adverse, so I, it took me a while to convince myself and understand the world of a startup. And yeah, how so this work. is sort of end of 2021 that yeah, we're yes, talking we're about. In. It's yeah. 2022 now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we were working on Menu Aid all through uh, from January through. 21 all through that year, and then we launched it um, in September 21. Got it. And yeah. it was on that launch when I realized just how many people were into this idea mm-hmm. and that there was actually a, a legitimate business here and a cool yeah. idea that I that really ignited my flame when I started seeing people interacting with it. Yeah. So. so describe the frustration that you were feeling and how it is that you're going about to solve that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the, the frustration is the what's for dinner dilemma. Right. Um, Toby and I would spend every Sunday would sit down trawling through cookbooks like trying to find inspiration saving things on Instagram posts that we see and combining all of these lists together mm. and it would take us hours and it would almost cause us like tension between who's gonna who's gonna do this this week you know who's gonna sort it out um and so we thought there's just got to be a better way than this how can we have meal fatigue when we're only 25 it's just ridiculous and we'd cook the same 
recipes every couple of weeks. Yeah. You so, got your go-tos. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so we thought there's got to be a better way. Uh, we, I think everyone almost gets access to a free HelloFresh box at some point mm-hmm. in their life. So we were fortunate enough to get a couple of those um, and realised that the waste was astronomical. It was quite mind-blowing that a modern company can be sending out Honestly, boxes of rubbish. It was it was awful. Um, it was really expensive. If it wasn't for free, we wouldn't have been able to get it ourselves. Um, and it was inflexible. It just didn't work with our lives and the different things we were trying to trying to do. So when we saw that that wasn't the solution, we quite quickly realised that there's there's a huge gap and people just wanting recipe inspiration and an awesome shopping list that's smart and efficient and knows you so well, but you've still got the flexibility to get the ingredients you want, go to the farmer's market if you want to, you know, add in the kids' lunches as you need to and all take care of the whole weekly shopping experience. So yeah. that's what we well, started working name The name kind of summarizes it, but let's go a bit further yeah. and, and dive into what it's yeah. actually doing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess the elevated pitch is that uh, we're a meal planning platform that solves what's within a dilemma with personalized recipes and a smart shopping list and takes care of the weekly shopping experience in just minutes. So um, currently where it's at is that you choose between one of two um, packs, so you choose either the balance pack, which is four meat and one vegetarian recipe a week, um, or our veggie fix, which is vegetarian um, recipes that can often be easily adapted to vegan. So that's sort of our core offering at the moment. You choose which recipe you want to cook. We send them out to you on a Saturday morning. Um, you add them to your trolley. It reconciles, categorizes, and puts them into an awesome shopping list where you can add in anything else you need for the week, like kids food um, toilet paper all those sorts of things you can delete things you've got at home so we've got an awesome veggie garden at home so we can often delete a whole lot of things from that Um, and then um, you can swap out things you don't want so say there's pork but you don't actually eat pork yourself you like chicken you can just swap it out Um, and then we've got working on supermarket integration at the moment so having really positive conversations with both the supermarkets to upgrade that experience to be a really smooth one-click experience where you can say this yes menu aid this is exactly what I want and then we say sweet which supermarket you tell us and we fill out your trolley for you so yeah it'll be so it's simplifying it's that yeah, it's that what are we going to eat tonight dilemma, yeah. Yeah. which everybody faces, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, yeah, it, it does get boring to have the same macaroni and cheese or, you yeah. know, like the, the, yeah, the, 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 simple, yeah. the simple go-tos yeah. that it's like, oh, I can't be bothered thinking through. Yeah. So the recipes themselves, mm. the simplification is not just providing the recipe. It's also saying, well, if you want to cook this, then you need this and this and this. Yeah. You need carrots, you need onions, you need... This, yeah. this amount of this exactly and then um kind of giving an integrated experience to yeah. go yeah okay yeah here's what i need to, to buy yeah exactly and it's if you want to cook you know you can choose any recipe that we send you um in previous weeks as well and it'll always reconcile those ingredients for you so you're not adding no you're not counting how many garlic cloves you need for each recipe and adding it all together we, we take care of all of that for you yeah that's amazing and the the recipes themselves, yeah. like where do they come from? <laughs> yeah, they come from our incredible chefs. Um, we've got two on board. One is Brett McGregor, who was the first winner of New Zealand MasterChef 10 years ago now, um, and Helen Jackson. She's a food media queen. She's got an awesome food blog called Food Lovers, which is actually one of the first, or the first um, food blog in New Zealand. So 
they have an, a wealth of knowledge on what Kiwi families need to eat and, and how they can make that. They make my life easier by giving us awesome nutritional recipes as well because they understand the whole picture, um, which is awesome. It was really important for us to have local chefs creating the recipes so we knew it was in season, it was ingredients you could easily get from the supermarket. It was um, things that you know people actually want to eat, not these sort of extremely foreign and crazy recipes that often have ingredients that you can never find at the supermarket anyway so yeah yeah, so they come from them um and we've got a recipe bank of about 400 recipes at the moment um and they're every week they're sending me five new recipes each so that it blows me away with how many recipes they've been able to come up with already um they're incredible i yeah have a lot of time for them yeah that's amazing so the the recipes that you get then are you you know thinking about that nutritional aspect to it yeah is that where that comes into play as well like yeah. thinking through okay what are the ingredients here yeah exactly and, and how nutritious are they is yeah that, there's absolutely. an element of that too definitely yeah so i worked really hard with both brett and helen at the start to create a recipe guideline, um, essentially, that says, you know, we need X amount of veggies, we need to watch out for these sorts of ingredients, give substitutes where we can, um, and we're going to move where menu eight is going, is into this highly personalised experience where we'll be able to get to know your dietaries, your family preferences, household size, all these sorts of things that you've got to cater for subconsciously. Um, We're going to bring that to the forefront and send you, rather than choosing a pack, you let us know all those, all that information, and we send you highly personalised recipes that suit just you and your family, which is really exciting because we know right now that the two packs don't cater for everyone. Um, so we're actually building out a really awesome AI engine, um, which will our our CTO he's working incredibly hard on building this awesome personalisation, which we're really excited to to mm. get going because that could take into account even basic things like. Our family just doesn't like spicy food. Exactly. And, um, you know, to, to get our children to eat a, a curry or something, yeah. it's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you could then tailor it to the exactly. type of food. Yeah, yeah interesting. Absolutely. Can I talk to you about recipes? Yeah, please. Um, I'm just interested in that because, I, and I want to frame the question in this way, okay. is that recipes are actually quite an, they're kind of a very personal and intimate thing. Yeah. And I, sometimes I feel like it gets commercialized too much. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here's a book of, and how many recipes are there? There's like, I don't know, 150 recipes yeah. within this book. Mm-hmm. But I'm just thinking about recipes as carriers of stories. Yeah. I don't want to overplay it, but yeah. like uh, we've got a recipe book uh, and my wife's great grandmother mm-hmm. had handwritten you know additions to the recipe book and and little notes you know like make sure to do this and this and this and then before you put it in the oven make sure you do this and it just strikes me that there's a really a a personal connection even across generations Mm -hmm. that this is my mother's home-cooked waffle recipe that we ate every Saturday morning or whatever it is I don't know where this question is going but yeah do you have any thoughts about that yeah hugely first of all I can definitely relate to the cookbook um my mum has the same cookbook and um we the three of my sisters would argue and say you know mum in the well who's getting the cookbook like (laughs) this is it was causing a lot of friction in the family and so actually last Christmas mum spent a huge amount of time handwriting three versions of it so that we could each have a handwritten version of the cookbook so I totally get the the um yeah the relationship to recipes and I think that we 
really want to incorporate that into Menu 8. Um, we're sort of seeing it as being the next generation's Edmunds cookbook where it's just got all of these recipes that you know your family's cooked and they've tried and tested and they're delicious. And we see absolutely Menu 8 moving through generations and you can access all the recipes and you know personalised notes can be written on these recipes that can then be carried on and passed on. So, mm. yeah, huge. Because that's the, that's, the, that's the next level of customization, isn't it? It might take some time, but yeah. I'm even thinking when I was a child, um, we had the chance to go live in Chile in South America Amazing. for a year. Yeah, it was great. Um, and I, I think I was 11 or 12, cool. and there was a person who used to cook this chicken like amazing Chilean spicy chicken on rice thing. Yeah. And I don't know what the recipe is yeah. and we don't know the recipe, but it was like this memory of childhood that if it was somewhere that I could now access. And yeah. what I'm wondering, you know, is like, wouldn't it be interesting to somehow gather recipes from different regions in mm. New Zealand mm-hmm. and say like, look, as a consumer, if you love the food of Southland or yeah. you want to taste the quintessential, you know, gore, uh, yeah. steak Stew and cheese, yeah. whatever. I don't know. But like that you could actually go in and you could say, well, this week I'm going to add in the, um, the Richmond family apple and rhubarb crumble, yeah. which has a little story with it yeah. that like, you know, Grandma Richmond in 1932, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you could actually go in and cook it and go, well, actually, I, I want that, yeah. you know. And it, it's just really interesting to me how, because we talk a lot, you know, words convey, but food, recipes, mm. that actually can convey a lot as well. Hugely, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and we're sort of out we're starting to build that into the platform and that we're working on now allowing people to upload their own recipes and then people will build out profiles essentially where you could go and follow you know mother richmond and you could check out all of her recipes that she Mm. uploads herself and you can choose to keep those within your family network or you can open them up to the wider network um but yeah we want it to be like a hub where every recipe that you've ever even ones that you've found on instagram or you've found from different resources you can still bring that into our platform and um have it as this awesome online recipe book essentially where we're still sending you highly personalized recipes but you also have the option to add in add in your favorites because we know that even if we send you five amazing perfect recipes every single week there's always going to be recipes that you want to go back to yeah and cook so um yeah so and that would be part of the it's kind of brainstorming here but it's fun for me so (laughs) thanks for indulging me but you know like that would be where you could then build the community Absolutely. because like I'm using it and I love this recipe and then I recommend it to my friend over there yeah. and then they add it to their list mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the two of us have a connection point Absolutely. that we both like this particular you know whatever yeah. it is yeah. um, and then I could see it even spreading you know across a family group like yeah hey, you know how um, Jane got the great-grandmother's cookbook? Yeah. That recipe is now uploaded here and and spread the word among the cousins. Like, hey, you know what? If you want that recipe made, you know, like, there it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. We're already sort of building out the community. The community is a huge piece for us, um, and we're... We've seen the beginnings of it with our recipe reviews. So on the recipes now, people, users can hit, I've cooked it, and they can um, tell us what they think of the recipe. And what we've found since that used to just come into our Slack channel and just the team could be able to see it. But now we've decided to open that up and let anyone who's on the recipe can see it. And it's 
created this awesome community of people saying, hey, I really enjoyed this cottage pie. I also added in, you know, carrots because I know I can sneak carrots in from the kids here and I added this and that and um, I put cheese on the top or I put breadcrumbs on the top because that's what we do at home and it's created this awesome community. So then I see that sort of feeding into a community feed essentially where we say, hey, Sue's written this review on this recipe. You're probably going to like what she's, you know, you're quite similar to her or you've had similar experiences so you're going to like what she's reviewing and you can sort of see that and then they can respond to each other and create that real hub around because it is a huge connection to food yeah and especially dinner it's every single night right so yeah. uh, well yeah. I, I think food is you know it's kind of a cliche but if I meet you and and we have a five minute chat yeah whereas if I meet you and we sit down and have a meal yeah. and particularly if I have cooked it for you yeah. you know like for for me um we our family loves salmon Amazing. Because we came to New Zealand from my father was a salmon grower. He he raised salmon, so I used to eat it all the time, wow. not knowing it was a special food. Yeah. Um, but if we've got somebody coming over to our house, that's my go-to recipe, which is awesome. the salmon recipe that my father, you know, that's intergenerationally so passed yeah. to me. But if I sit with someone and eat with them, and I'm sharing a bit of my own family history with them, like the connections that build are so much deeper than. Um, oh yeah, how are you doing? And yeah. it's, it's great to meet you today. You know, like after we record this, we're going to be going and having a lunch. Yeah. And that's a real chance to be, you know, like connecting on a much deeper level. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what excites me so much about menu aid is it's the ability to reconnect people to their food. And, you know, the likes of meal kits, you hear a lot of people say, for example, we used to, in my old workplace, we'd have people that would bring in lunch and we'd all sit around the Again, connecting over food, sitting around the lunch table talking about what everyone's eating and you'd point out someone's meal and say, oh, that looks really delicious. And they're like, oh, it's just my food bag or it's just HelloFresh. Or they kind of lost that pride and sense of creation because they're ripping open sachets and they're not measuring things and they're sort of all just chucking it all together. But what I really wanted to do with MenuAid was bring that sort of empowerment and that connection back into the consumer's hands so that they know that they can adapt recipes for their family and they can actually create an awesome meal without it being this stressful experience. And so that's what people are really loving is, is the ability to do that. Mum's friend, um, Mum actually sent me a picture of her friend last night um, who they've just started using MenuAid and she sent me a picture of her husband cooking a beef food on stir fry and she said, this is just the best thing ever. I come home and I love seeing what they've created that night. And she's like, I just flick him the recipe. He doesn't have to think about it. He really likes creating it. She doesn't have to cook. It's, <laughs> it's a real win-win for them. So it's all seeing all of that is just, it's so cool. Yeah. Well, that's why I like talking talking with people like you who started things because also these are long form interviews. So if somebody's listened this long, you know, <laughs> they'll know your early background, studying nutrition, yeah. going overseas, coming back. And I think it all plays into this. And I really like the fact that this, for you, this venture is about community as well. Hugely. And it's about connection. Um, I'm curious, and we're kind of getting towards the end here, but I'm curious, yeah. Now that you are an entrepreneur, <laughs> how is it going? Because it's been a couple months now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are you up to and what do you think the future is holding? It's really exciting. I just love that no two days are the same. I love that I get to connect with an incredible network of people who I had no idea about before, honestly, that are doing all inspiring things um, and pushing the boundary. And I, there's definitely challenging days. And I think um, sort of imposter syndrome has been something which it's hard, like a, it's 
definitely a thing um, that is very prevalent in my life, especially at the start of this journey. I still don't even call myself an entrepreneur yet, but I think of this whole journey, it's um, been huge because you're talking to people who have achieved massive things and you sort of feel like you're just at the very tip of the iceberg. Um, So I have days where I feel completely overwhelmed and like I sort of know nothing and feel lots of self-doubt. And then I have days where you know, even when mum's friend sends a picture of them cooking meals in their house where you're like, we're actually having a huge impact on many people's lives and it is just the tip of the iceberg. So mm. it's really exciting and uh, the good absolutely outweighs the bad. Um, and I'm surrounded, our team is incredible. We've got a team of six of us that work on MenuAid um, full-time. Well, there's two of us full-time and the others have been on it since the start and I learned so much from them as well. Um so I'm I'm really enjoying it, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, can you give a shout out to the six people? Like, yeah, who are they? I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's myself, and then there's Toby, my partner. Um, who he's he's with us from the start, and then our chefs Brett and Helen, um, and then our CTO Will. He's uh, built the whole menu platform from scratch. He's absolutely incredible, um, and he and I work on it full time currently. And then our incredible uh, photographer and content creator Charlie Rose. She's a, a local photographer. She's just I just call her my hype girl. She's so supportive and. Uh, I'm learning a lot from her, especially because she's creative and I'm not. So <laughs> she's been fantastic. So I'm incredibly thankful for our team. Um, they sort of have believed in it from the start and um, sort of helped Toby and I turn this crazy idea into an actual functioning business and awesome startup that people love. So we've also got um, two nutrition interns, Ben and Kirsty, who work with us. Um, they're from Utter, the Polytech. Um, and then Ben and another um, woman, Hazel, come and do our shoots with us because every second week on a Monday we go in and cook the next two weeks worth of recipes so it's an incredibly busy day Um, and Ben and Hazel are awesome at just reading recipes off the bat, creating and plating them and making them look delicious so yeah very thankful for all the people that have been involved so far. That's awesome yeah Yeah, well the team and people is definitely key in a startup that's for sure it must be because you probably have to eat all that food do you as well? Yeah (laughs) that must be nice to try the variety yeah it's great yeah we get to test it and make sure that what we're sending out is is delicious meals Mm. that are um, easy to cook so yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's that's process. great yeah well we're we're um people know me as the voice of the podcast but yeah. i'm actually a lawyer as well yeah. so it's been fun to see your journey you know just from a legal perspective and yeah. providing a bit of support in that area Hugely. um and just watching and i have a feeling you know the next couple of months are going to be challenging but also just to see growth happening and yeah. yeah it's an exciting stage to be at yeah and thank you so much for your support as well that you're sort of a, a hot name in the startup space in Christchurch because of the amazing support that you and your team do give for the likes of us and Komodo and Partly who we're, we're really connected to as well um, and many others so yeah appreciate the, the support you guys give us yeah well, thank you yeah no <laughs> it's it's a pleasure and I, I really love like you said at the start you know the variety of each day every yeah. day is a bit different because <laughs> every client you know is doing slightly different things and yeah um, yeah, it's exciting well I think what we're going to do is finish up there because I feel like we've gotten a real sense of your background sort of your origins and I loved hearing thank you for sharing so much about like where you were from because then I think as well sometimes and I'm trying to help change this but sometimes when you talk to founders or entrepreneurs you only hear the highlights and you only hear the glitzy like oh, this was the success and we appeared on this and we got this headline. 
and you forget that there's real people, you know, there's real journeys. And so yeah. the fact that, you know, you didn't get into the second year of physio yeah. and then what did you do with that? And yeah. then you didn't get, you know, a dream nutritionist job when you came back and you were in Christchurch and you're sitting in your flat with your little dog <laughs> toilet training them. And, yeah. you know, like, but to just chart that with you through the fact that, there's going to be ups and downs yeah. as an entrepreneur, as somebody starting something new. Mm. And I think that's been, thank you for being transparent about it. Cause my hope is that the listeners in turn will be inspired to go out and try their thing, whatever that might be. So um, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. Like, time has flown. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you so yeah. much. Well, the good news is that we get to go have lunch around the corner and yeah. we get to put into practice what we talked about, <laughs> exactly. which is having some food and Toby's going to join us and Aislinn from my team. So um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So, thank you. Thank you so much. Great. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Elise. For me, there was lots of highlights, and I loved hearing about her origin and the influences on her life, in particular her parents. And I really enjoyed hearing about this company and the plans for the future. If you enjoyed this, then why not check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog? If you'd be willing to hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell one other person about the show, then that really helps it to grow. Until next time! Mm-hmm.